Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 73. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we start, I wanted to share this note I got in my inbox from a listener. Valerie said, I just thought you might be amused that I recommend your blog and podcast to my patients who are stuck pumping or just sitting breastfeeding a lot. I'm a hospital lactation consultant. Why not be entertained? I love it when listeners tell me stories like this. If you want to let me know what you think of the show or maybe where you listen to it, leave a comment in this episode's show notes. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 73. Or shoot me an email through our producer, Brenna, brenna at modernmrsdarcy.com. I first connected with today's guest on Instagram, and I'm so happy to welcome her on the show today. We're talking to Uli Boyder-Cohen, co-founder of iLevel Magazine and creator of the Instagram project Subway Book Review, which is dedicated to sharing book reviews with strangers on the train, accompanied by gorgeous black and white photos. Today, Uli shares a peek behind the scenes, tons of fun details about the influence on her own reading life, and what it's like to throw your own party at the Strand. And of course, we talk about what she should read next. Let's get to it. Uli, welcome to the show. Hi, and it's so nice to be speaking with you. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you. I really admire your work, but we will get there. Okay, so Uli, are you coming to us from Brooklyn this morning? I am in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. How long have you been a New Yorker? I almost said Brooklyner, and that's not what they call them. No, like Brooklynite. I think there's a lot of pride in being a Brooklynite. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. I, you know, that is a wonderful question. Am I a New Yorker? Because, you know, there is this rule that you're only a New Yorker 10 years into living in this wonderful city. I think I've spent a combined like, I don't know, 30 days of my entire life in New York. I did not know the rule. You know, and rules are here to be broken. I think that the 10 year mark is uh, totally legit because it really takes a bit of time to a stake your ground in the city and then also to prove your staying power because New York is ferocious and being here is really a rite of passage. And so I think the 10-year mark makes sense. However, I've had um, a very wonderful woman whose opinion I trust, uh, Carrie Diamond, who runs Cherry Bomb. She told me that I qualify as a New Yorker and I've only been here for three years. And you know what she said? She said it's an attitude and I had the right attitude. So I I chose to take that as a compliment. But (laughs) yeah, that you, you know, being a New Yorker is more about um, how you interact with the city and um, what you give to the city rather than an amount of years. So I'll go with that. I will. I would like to call myself a New Yorker. Where were you immediately prior and what brought you to Brooklyn? Um, Before that, I was on the West Coast. I was in Portland, Oregon, which was a little tiny creative hotbed, now often compared to Williamsburg, uh, which is a neighborhood here in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a creative agency in Portland that I ran with my husband for six years. And my husband, being a New Yorker, really wanted to come back east I was very, very, uh, I had trepidations about that because I'm from a very small town in southern Germany. So, <laughs> Which one? Would, would any of us know it? 
Um, I will send you a hundred dollars for anyone <laughs> of your listeners who goes, yes, I have heard of Reutlingen in Southern Germany. So the contest is on. If you've been there, you get a, you get a book package from me sent to you. To call a subway book review an Instagram account seems to be selling it short. How do you describe it with what, what noun do you use to talk about subway book review? Yeah, I would say that subway book review is a project. It's hopefully a movement. Um, it is, um, you know, it's a publication of some sorts, but most of all, it's a storytelling platform, I would say, you know, and maybe that not, not the most romantic uh, use of words. But <laughs> yeah, I would say Subway Book Review is a project that um, is intended to be a place of refuge and a place of inspiration for people who love stories. So Subway Book Review struck me as something quintessentially New York that could only be started by a New Yorker. But now I'm wondering if it was your... <laughs> Your outsider's eye that made you see what was special about what maybe many New Yorkers would take for granted, just reading a book on the train. What's the origin story of the project? And tell us a little bit about what it is for people who aren't lucky enough to have found you online and especially on Instagram yet. Calling Subway Book Review a quintessential New York project, I, as an outsider, would agree with you. Um, the New Yorkers are telling me you're nuts for interrupting. How dare you interrupt New Yorkers who are reading a book <laughs> on the subway? How dare you? Only a non-New Yorker would break that unwritten rule. So, um, and that was really truthfully it. I moved here. I had great admiration for the city, being a people person and having, you know, having always been a person who's deeply fascinated by personal stories and a person who believes that everyone has a fascinating story to tell, you only have to ask them. This was such a great opportunity to find out not just about the city, but obviously the city, the people who make the city what it is, finding out about what's on their mind and what the common thread is. And what Subway Book Review is, is really that. It's a cultural observation, and it is me speaking to strangers on the subway asking them what they're reading and why they're reading that particular book at the time. And I say cultural observation because it is really such a reflection of the person's identity, of the person's background, and of the person's worries and hopes for the future. When did it first occur to you that it would be a good idea to approach strangers on the train and ask to take their picture? The train is a place where no one can get away. We're all kind of trapped in these subway cars, at least for one or two stops. And I would say that the subway is a, actually a beautiful place in New York City. Some might disagree with me, and I won't even get in an argument with them about <laughs> it. It's really, it's a fascinating place because it's an equalizer. You see people from all walks of life on the subway. It's a beautiful reflection of who lives in New York. So there was that. And then I found it fascinating to look at a city underground. On the streets, everybody is very much in a hurry. Moments are even more fleeting on the street. And while people are still going to do their thing and they're going to get off and maybe I have to get off at their station with them or maybe I only have two subway stops to speak with someone and I have to try to get as much um, information as possible in a short amount of time. But there's something really there's a possibility for a conversation on a subway. And old New Yorkers tell me that 
they're actually really excited that I'm bringing the conversation back to the subway and that it used to be a great place for conversation. Um, nowadays, obviously, people have, you know, screen time headphones in mm-hmm. and are not very much available to the people around them, especially on the subway. But I find that people really appreciate it uh, when you kind of break them out of their bubble and just ask them a few questions about their life. What comes first, the photograph or the conversation? Because what you're doing is take, I mean, the account is gorgeous. It's black and white. Was that an aesthetic choice or a practical choice since you are shooting underground? Shooting the photography in black and white was an, was, was an aesthetic choice. That was a further equalizer for me and a visual device of saying, never judge a person by their book cover. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope that the black and white photography creates further intrigue in actually reading the story or thinking about the pairing of the person in their book. Obviously, the, you know, the underground has very specific lighting that I felt lent itself nicely to black and white mm-hmm. photography. So that's what the account is, is lots of photographs of people holding their books, their faces up close. And it really is so striking to look at. As, as you're approaching someone, these are often strangers, yes? Yes, there. I would say there are 90, 98% strangers. Every once in a while, I invite a notable New Yorker to meet me on the subway. Uh-huh. And some great people have met me. Elizabeth Gilbert, who we, of course, know and, know and love from Eat, Pray, Love and uh, Big Magic, or the first lady of New York City, Shirlane McRae, met me with two security details on the subway oh, and wow. told me about her book. So, um, yes, but to answer your question, mostly strangers every once in a while. I'm just curious what someone's reading. Um, and I will, I will ask them to meet me and cross my fingers that they will say yes. (laughs) So if I'm sitting on the subway holding an interesting book and you think, man, she would be great on subway book review. What do you do first? Do you say, Hey, how are you doing? Do you say, what are you reading? Do you say, do you mind if I take your picture? How does that unfold? You know, it's interesting on the subway. You have to be very precise because you're also competing with showtime which if anyone has ever been to New York and ridden the subway, subway, you know what I'm talking about. Showtime is, of course, the young the young guys with their boombox who are performing uh, choreographies in the subway. So the subway, there's a lot going on in the subway. You ha- and New Yorkers want you to get to the point and be quick. So um, I usually am really honest and say, uh, you know, what are you reading? Even if I can see the title in plain sight, Uh, which then usually opens up the conversation. And I quickly say that, you know, it is a project and that I do an interview and that I take a photo and um, ask if I can just have a moment of their time. And usually by the time people see, you know, I have the Instagram account on my phone and I can show a little visual, Mm -hmm. um, people can say yes or no pretty quickly. But Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised by how many people immediately say yes and are excited to share and tell me secrets and really open up. It seems like it's not a coincidence that the book is the thing connecting you to these strangers, that there's just so much potential there to connect to who the person is. And the book says so much about a person, I believe. How how do you see that play out? Oh, absolutely. The book is a beautiful extension of a person and their reality, if you will. I think people carry books almost like they put on a jacket in the morning or they put on a cool hat. It's really, I think a book is an accessory and it says as much about the person as anything they might be wearing that day. Uli, have you been on Subway Book Review yourself with a book in your hand? 
No, I don't think I can. Anne, can I? <laughs> well, what I wanted to know was what book you would be holding. Um, well, you know, what I read, um, I read short stories on the subway. I think that that's an excellent use of time. So my, what you might, that's probably more like, I, you would find me with a particular category. I'm a very ferocious reader. I often read multiple books at the same time. But if you were to ask me for Subway Book Review, it would be some kind of short story collection. Who are some favorite authors? So Ariel Levy just came out with a beautiful new memoir, uh, The Rules Do Not Apply. Um, I used to have a really big soft spot for, and still do, for David Sedaris, of course. Um, his, you know, his books read so beautifully in the chaptered experiences. Mm -hmm. I loved The Glass Castle. Um, so now I'm not talking about short stories at all. Now I'm talking about memoirs and I'm realizing that maybe I'm more of a memoir reader than I am a short story reader. But um, there was one book upstairs at the Strand, which was really great, which is a collection by multiple writers speaking about their love for the Strand, which is a big independent bookstore here in New York. Um, so, yeah, those are some examples, I would say. Now... Since you mentioned The Strand, you have a fairly new endeavor called I Level Magazine. Could you describe that briefly? Because what I want to know is you had your launch event at The Strand, and the photos you all shared in I Level were amazing, and I'm dying to hear what it was like to have an event at The Strand. Yeah, I Level is a new lifestyle publication that's really focused on reading and, and foremost, the readers. I think that we often focus on the authors, but we want to focus on the readers. And we wanted to create a very diverse and inclusive environment to talk about books and stories and life. You can find iLevel in form of a website as a newsletter. And then, of course, we're on Instagram because it's just too much fun to be there. And why not? And we publish twice a month. And you'll find everything you need to know to have an awesome literary life. So you'll find stories, you'll find book recommendations, we do giveaways, so you can win really dope and amazing literary packages. Um, and then we just have lots and lots of little recommendations from bookends to beanies and our favorite uh, reading haunt. It's really beautiful too. Okay, so that was I Level Magazine. And it's it's fairly new, and you had that launch event. I almost said fun launch event. I wasn't there, but it certainly looks like fun. What was it like to have an event at The Strand for you? That event was just, um, you know, it made my heart sing, to be honest, because it was beautiful to have the people there um, who provided a reading, which, uh, you know, that ranged from Dan Kennedy, who is the host of the Moth podcast, um, to uh, Glory Edom, who does Well Read Black Girl, which is another amazing Instagram account. Um, and it was just such an amazing reflection of the kind of diversity and inclusivity that we want to create. And we want to highlight the stories and bring focus to the voices that 
we believe need to be heard in literary events. And the Strand event and the launch event of iLevel was a really beautiful opportunity to do that. And we had great support from the Strand itself. Um, it's such a gorgeous space. I highly recommend you check it out. If you're ever finding yourself in New York, it's the third floor and the rare book room. And uh, it was just such an honor to be surrounded by all these first editions and these beautiful old books and to do something fairly new and somewhat groundbreaking on, in such a historic space. And that kind of combination, I think, is exactly what makes iLevel iLevel. What's important to Caroline D'Onofrio, who's the co-creator of iLevel and me, is to honor the tradition of reading and writing, but to infuse it with the cultural and pop cultural moments that keep it on people's mind now. Uli, I'd like to hear a little bit about your actual personal reading life. What does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm one of those multi-readers, so I often read multiple books at the same time. Uh, right now, I'm reading some poetry by Morgan Parker. The book is called There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce. I can't get it out. <laughs> I've seen that. I mean, I haven't seen the book, but I've seen the title. That's a great it's title. It's so good. It's so good. I'm also very excited to be previewing the new Haruki Murakami short story collection, mm -hmm. um, which comes out in May. It's called Men Without Women, and it's short stories about uh, the relationship between men and women. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that's very exciting. You know, it's always it's it's such a thrill to have a galley in your hand and, um, you know, to hold something that, you know, the world will talk about and to kind of glimpse at it for a moment before you know, the media picks it up and has many, many opinions about it. And then a book that I visit frequently right now is something totally different. It's The Art of Communicating uh -huh. by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, he also wrote the, uh, the Art of Love, I think, and many, many other books. But The Art of Communicating, I just find so important right now. And I read it frequently. And right now I'm definitely in it. Okay. Well, Uli, you know how this works, although we're kind of doing it backwards. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you're reading lately, as you just shared. Thank you. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Are you ready to start with your favorites? I think so. I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm ready. What's book one? One book that I really, really love is Subway by Bruce Davidson. And it's a photography book. And Bruce went through the subway, I believe in the 80s, when the subway was a real nasty place. And he photographed life on the subway. And it is a huge inspiration. And it makes me jealous that I'm not Bruce Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> is this an outlier in your collection? Or are you drawn to gorgeous art books, well-placed text about topics that interest you and are big parts of your life? Oh, I love a good photography or mm -hmm. art book. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a Avedon book uh, that's just beautiful portraiture. My background is actually in filmmaking and photography. So coming from visual storytelling, that has always been very, very fascinating to me. I'm also, you know, I, I love a really beautifully shot movie. Um, that to me is why I do the short form interview. I think to me, the pairing of the image with a text that is trying to be precise yet emotional is something that's really hard to create. And I'm 
you know, I'm taking on the challenge and it's something that is just really, really fun to practice for me. That sounds amazing. Uli, what's book two? So um, one book that I read recently, but man, I love it very, very much. It's Exit West by Mohsen Hamid. I feel that that book is talking about displacement and immigration in such a timeless way. It just blew me. It blew my mind completely. I just recommended this one on the podcast to Laura Germain in episode 68. And I'm thinking you aren't going to agree with me here. And that's fun. And that's why I'm mentioning it. I I read this a couple months ago. And when I read it, I couldn't put it down. But I found it really, really sad. And I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. Not that I like it or I didn't like it or deep things or even helpful things to say about a book, but just inside myself, I couldn't decide if I liked it. But then I found myself kept like coming back to it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it some more. And I have actually decided like, yes, that was a really well done book. And I am glad I read it. But at first I just couldn't decide what to make of it. I get the impression you didn't have that problem. Am I right? You know, one, one of the things that Subway Book Review is teaching me, maybe that's an oxymoron because it is on Instagram and Instagram is all about likes to some degree. But to me, that book specifically brought home the point that books, the point about books is not for us to say, I like this or I don't like this. A book, the whole purpose of a book is to make us think and to make us consider our perspective and to dive into a world, maybe ideally, that we know nothing about. And I believe that Exit West opened up a world to me that I thought I knew things about because my grandfather was a refugee mm -hmm. and an immigrant um, back in the day, uh, that I thought I had heard many emotions about because my grandfather and I were very close and our family story I am very familiar with. But I read about this, um, Nadia and Said's story, and this is migration and immigration in a time when there are drones, in a time when there is technology, in a time where things are present that were not present in my grandfather's migration story. So to me, it is giving me a new, it is broadening that world. And I'm internally grateful to the book for doing that because, again, I see myself in it, but I see new things in it that I would have never considered before. That is a really good way to put it. I think somewhere on my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, there's a blog post in which I say, when it comes to talking about books, the most unhelpful things you can say after you finish a story are, I liked it or yep. I didn't because that's not what matters. And that doesn't really say anything about you as you, I would imagine, find out every day from Subway Book Review. But I really appreciate, especially with a book that it would be very easy to make an issues book out of, like Exit West, a book that can tell a great story and be very thought provoking without hitting you over the head with an agenda, but a book that invites you in to experience someone else's story. If we're talking about a work of fiction, like we are here and consider the issues from a different angle, from someone else's eyes. Um, that's very immersive. And of course, of course we want good writing. That's a given. We're talking about what makes a great book, but a book that really introduces a new way of seeing and does it 
effectively, which is hard to do because sometimes you only can recognize an author is doing it really well when you realize that you've forgotten to pay attention to the style mm-hmm. because you've just been so drawn in. That's what I think makes a great book. That's a great way to put it. And that's not the only way you can have a great book, but just in this frame of mind, thinking about uh, Moisin Hamid, I think that's what he did really well. Uli, what's book three? Book three? Um, well, you know, I'm not reading it yet, but I'm really excited to start reading The Lonely City by Olivia Lang. I don't know that a, one. Tell me about it. Because it's about uh, the meaning of being lonely and um, how we're engaging with another human being and how we're connecting with other people. And then it especially looks at the role of technology and our connection. And uh, I think she wrote it when she moved to New York City in her mid-30s, which is what I did too. And I always felt a little bit old for coming here in my mid-30s and not doing it as a scrappy, you know, like early 20 kind of person. Um, Because sometimes I hear that can be easier uh, to be scrappy in New York and not come (laughs) when when you needed to, you know, give you a whole life. But um, yeah, so it's interesting that she that she kind of, you know, did this account of her New York living at a time when I also came here and that she's looking at connection and loneliness and technology. I can't wait. That sounds really fascinating. And I have a weirdly geeky interest in anything about urban planning and urban living. So this is certainly going on my list of things to read next. Uli, I'd love to hear, so I can choose books for you, another book that you have already read and enjoyed. Yes. Okay. How about this one? Uh, how about Homegoing by Yad Jesse? Mm-hmm. Tell us how more. How good was that? It was so right? good. And how- it wasn't what I expected at all. In a, and again, kind of did something. I, I mean, I love a good family family story. I love a good family study. I love a good family story. And I think that Homegoing did that so beautifully. And it just put history in perspective. And I believe put a new light on history and a part of history that we know about, but that we hardly hear about so comprehensively. It's interesting to me that you mentioned Homegoing because it read to me as a series of very loosely connected short stories. I mean, they were connected by Through family genealogy. ties. Yes, yeah. but not really by much else. And uh, you mentioned you really enjoyed short stories. That seems not mm. to be a coincidence. You got me. And you got me. <laughs> I can't wait what you're going to recommend. I think you're you're going to do something magical here. I think it's true. I think that... To me, there is obviously, like you say, in Homegoing, there's a big thread, right? You run from two sisters way, way, way back when into the present day over many, many decades of how their family changes and the family members that are added and the family members that pass away. And like I said, you know, good family story, man, I am sign me up every time. I am a lover of those. But I think what it did is, again, it created context it brought things into focus that we don't necessarily see connected this way so beautifully, not just in a historic, but I mean, what a masterful storyteller Yeah, Jesse is. It was such a vivid and lively environment that she created for us. I just, you know, I find the book heartbreaking, but I really could smell the places. I could see the places. It was so descriptive. And I could just be there with her. I did too, for all the reasons we talked about in 
exit west just i thought she did that really well do you know she was like 26 when she wrote that book yes isn't that infuriatingly that amazing insane uli what i know you're on record as not being a hater have you found that there's <laughs> there's a genre or if you're feeling bold a title that while maybe you could see that it had merit and that other people like it just fine is not meant for you Oh, you're going to make me go there, Anne. You're going to make me go there. No. <laughs> okay, Anne, if I have to go there and be a hater, which I am not a hater, I really, I want to. I didn't say, I thought that was very diplomatic and tactful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, I'm going to say it because I have a good, I have a good reason here and bear with me. Keeping in mind that I'm not a hater and that I really do believe that everything exists for a reason and can teach us something, I felt that Girl on the Train was so way overhyped. Oh, the irony. And I know that, you know, right now, please, please don't turn off this lovely podcast because uh, hear me out, hear me out. I felt that in terms of suspense, she nailed it. And that I was on the edge of my couch for sure. And I definitely stayed up all night reading it a hundred percent, totally did that. But I felt in terms of the language, it was thoroughly lacking. And I've, I was really upset at certain sentence structures, and I'm not a bougie, crazy, uh, critical reader, but it just didn't do it for me. And how it was written in the writing style, did not like it. There it is, I said it, I said it. And I have something redeeming to say, but first, let me, let me hear it, Anne, lay into me. <laughs> I didn't love that one either. It didn't. Mm -hmm. Okay, here mm -hmm. we are. The truth is out. However, Paula Hawkins does have a new one coming out in, I believe, May. Uh, exactly. In Into the Water, maybe. And I am excited to hear it. And I had the same experience. I read it um, very, very quickly. Was very excited to read it. And I, I think sometimes this is a this is a safe way to say why you don't like a book. I do. I either want characters that I love to hate, which doesn't happen terribly often, or a character I can root for. And there just wasn't anybody in that book that I was pulling for or that I really enjoyed hating. I just kind of wanted to, I don't know about you bunch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd like to get to happier, happier ground, or at least more um, engaging, miserable ground in my, yeah. my next book choice. Yeah, totally. Was that it's her so first? Well, I believe it was. It may have been. Okay. So there's always first book grace. That's a lot there's of pressure for any author to have the girl in the train be book one. But yeah, I'm excited to see more in the future, even though that one specifically was not beloved by me. No. And you know what? Here's something horrible. No, I can't say it. Okay. I'll say <laughs> it. I read girl. I read the girl on the train and then I saw people reading the girl on the train and I refused to speak to them about girl on the train. <laughs> So if we scroll because, through Subway book review, we will not find it. Is that what you're saying? So bad. Well, I was just like, okay, it's getting enough press. I really didn't, I really didn't enjoy it. I thought it was overhyped. I thought that it was not 
written in a way that was spectacular. And so I was like, okay, I don't need to do it. And then I think the, I think my contributor in London um, covered it and I was like, okay, I'll let her put it out. We'll put it in from London. That'll be fine. And I was kind of really, you know, like that about it, but I will say um, I did, I have peeked and read, uh, I have read into the water, her second book. Oh, I haven't read it yet. And I can tell you it is awesome. I highly recommend it. And for a person who really didn't like the girl on the train to say they really liked Into the Water, I mean, she totally won me over with her second book. It's written in a beautiful voice. It is so interesting. Um, Witchcraft plays a bit of a role and there's a bit of a historical aspect to it. It is just so much fun to read. And that's why I feel I can safely hate on the girl on the train because I can also say that the same author wrote a beautiful second book and I can't wait to hear what people say about it. Uli, that's so fun to hear. And now I'm thinking that what we need to be looking for you when we choose books for you in a moment is titles that aren't going to be necessarily projected top 10 New York Times. Everyone will see this book everywhere. Bestsellers. Mm, interesting. Okay. Interesting conclusion. We'll see okay. what we can do. Yes. All right. Well, I have ideas for you and we'll get to them right after the break. Uli, welcome back. Hi, Anne. Okay. This is going to be fun, if a little intimidating. Anne, I can't wait. I'm excited. Pretend we're on the subway. Pretend we're in the G train together. And you're sitting in a seat, and here comes a woman with an iPhone in her hand who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Do people ever give you book recommendations when you're talking to them about their books? Oh, they totally do. It's the best. Okay. I was just at a used book sale over the weekend. And, uh, one of the employees, it was at a historic home. And one of the employees was like, Oh, do you need any help finding titles? And I was like, eh, you know, sure. What you got? I think I bought like seven extra books. Cause she was like, well, this is good. And this is good. Nice. <laughs> Load them up. I've already got a big tote bag full. Okay. I am trying hard not to recommend to you the top big literary fiction titles that everyone is going to be talking about everywhere because I feel like you can find those perfectly well for yourself. So I'm trying to look a little bit not forthcoming, brand new, and um, yeah, and a lot really fun. But we are looking for smart, well-written books that usher you into another world completely. Context. Mm, We have context in mind. That sounds tasty. Okay. But first of all, I have to say, we're not going to dive deep into these, but have you seen Grace Bonnie's In the Company of Women? Oh, I've seen it. I haven't picked it up yet, but I've seen it. Okay. Pick it up. It sounds up your alley. Um, Really lovely book, hardcover. It came out this past fall, 2016. It is inspiration and advice from, here, I'm just reading the subtitle, inspiration and advice from over 100 makers, artists, and entrepreneurs. And the idea and setup is really cool. It's photographs on double page spreads of creative women and creative is defined very, very broadly. Like they do all number of different things in uh, photographs against their workspaces with varying questions and interviews where they explain either their workspace or what they do or how they get started or what they dream of doing one day. I think it's the kind of book you'd enjoy flipping through. It sounds lovely. I'm totally on board. Okay. But as a New Yorker, that's your bonus pick. I feel like you could find that for yourself, but do find it for yourself. I think you'd really enjoy flipping through it. Also big family sweeping epics, Anthony Mara, Annie Proulx, 
Isabella Lende, like those come to mind as authors that are likely to uh, make your reading heart happy. Have you read those? Am I on the right track? You know what's interesting? Isabella Lende is... Um has crossed my path many times. I have never picked it up because you know what? I thought it was an old lady book. Here, you may point your finger at me and you may say, why are you judging anyone by their book? You shouldn't of all people. And you're totally right. But I am totally down to try some Isabel. If you if you say, nope, there's no dust on this whatsoever, you can dive in safely. Okay, so it's Latin American magical realism. So if that's not in your wheelhouse, <laughs> then maybe not. But if you're afraid it's going to be dry and dusty, you don't need to be afraid of that. I thank you. You have maybe cured me from from something uh, that was totally superficial, and I I cannot wait to rectify this. I'm going to get myself some Isabella Lende. Well, hold on because we have other suggestions first. I mean, it's fine with me if you leave with 20 titles for your to be read stack, <laughs> but maybe not fine with you. Okay, I'm ready to share a legit book one pick if you are. Okay, I'm okay. ready. Book one is The Confusion of Languages by Shabon Fallon. Do you? Well, this doesn't come out until June, so you probably haven't seen it on your local shelves yet, although I know you're in the know and may get a peek at things to come. This is Siobhan's first novel, but it's not her first book. She is the author of You Know When the Men Are Gone, which is a short story collection and a great title if ever I heard one, right? It's set at Fort Hood. It focuses on military wives, and this next novel is very much in the same vein. So her next one, it comes out in June. It's in the same vein. It also focuses on military wives, two in particular. And this story is all about context. And she just sucks you into this world that I knew nothing about, but she painted really well. It really reminded me, I mean, many of the circumstances are completely different, but it really reminded me of the old Claire Danes, Kate Beckinsale movie, Broke Down mm. Palace. Have you seen mm. this? No, but mm, I love me Claire Danes, you know? <laughs> so we have two women, Cassie and Margaret, who become friends, sort of, kind of, friends with a lot of uh, jealousy involved because their husbands are both stationed with the U.S. military in Jordan. Cassie's the veteran. They've been in country for a little while now. Margaret is new and her family has or Cassie and her husband have kind of taken them under their wing as they get acclimated to the new country. So it's a really interesting story, the way it's structured. The book opens with a car wreck. It's not terrible. It's just more of a minor fender bender. No one's hurt really. But as the American behind the wheel, it's Margaret's job to go to the authorities and pay, they call it a guilt tax because it's her fault. And mm. it doesn't matter if it's really her fault. That's just the price of being an American involved in a car wreck. That's just the cultural norm. And it's the kind of cultural norm that Margaret has been railing against since she came to Jordan. So she sets off to take care of this little errand and Cassie agrees to watch her young child while she's gone. And she's kind of trapped in her apartment with this baby. And from that point, we flip, and I just described to you like the first eight pages of the book, just very, very short setting there. That's the setup. So we flip back and forth between right now as Cassie is pacing, entertaining this child. She might have found her friend's journal slipped down mm. between the mattress. Mm -hmm. And 
Margaret seems to be taking an alarmingly long time as the afternoon and then evening goes by. So we're flipping back and forth between right now and the past as Cassie can't help dipping in this journal and is also um, just drawn to reflect on their history together as she's alone with this baby in her friend's apartment. And of course we find out that that history is complicated and it becomes clearer and clearer that Margaret has had a very difficult time adjusting to life in Jordan, especially the cultural mores of the interpersonal relationships and that violating some of those cultural rules has gotten her and perhaps a person she really cares about there in Jordan into serious trouble. And I like this for you because it has complex relationships. It has a stranger in a strange land kind of flavor and a mm. really interesting storytelling style. Also, it's a book about two women at its heart by a female author. And you had mentioned that those were um, not essentials, but not a terrible thing to add to your, your reading list. How does that oh, sound? They're an excellent thing to add to the reading list. That sounds wonderful. And I also don't know anything about military wives, to be honest. So I would totally like to read a story about that because it's something I know nothing about. I would not have told you you know, walking into the bookstore, you know, I'm looking for a great novel about military wives. But <laughs> it's really interesting the way that Shabon Fallon brings this experience of living in a country that's foreign to you in every way, um, just screamingly to life. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You know, that reminds me of uh, Dave Eggers book, A Hologram for the King. I've never read that. Ah, oh, it's a beautiful strangers in a strange land story. I mean, it, it's really it is actually like it, it's kind of unremarkable. And then it hits you how remarkable it is. Um, and it was not I think it wasn't one of his most uh, recognized books either. But A Hologram for the King, it, it totally reminds me of what you're describing. And um, yeah, draws you into a land, I think, especially from the American perspective, which I think is so important to read about right now to read about, you know, what it means to be an American and what it means to be an American representative. Um, we, we should all read more about that. So that's great. Sounds wonderful. June 27th. Okay. Book two is High Dive by Jonathan Lee. Do you know anything about this? This came out spring, late winter, 2016. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Excellent. First, the facts. Jonathan Lee has built his novel around a very real historical events. In 1984, a member of the IRA, his name was Patrick McGee, he planted a time bomb in the bathroom of room 629 of the Grand Hotel in Brighton in the UK, where Margaret Thatcher and her cabinet were set to meet for their annual conservative party conference. Uh, it was a time delay bomb. He planted it and three weeks later, it detonated in the hotel. It killed five people. It injured 30. Thatcher was on the premises. She was working in her hotel room, but she was not harmed. She was the target, though. McGee was the one arrested for the crime. He spent over a decade in jail. And it has always been rumored, or maybe speculated is, is the better term, that he had an accomplice to this bombing. Mm. Okay, so that is Lee's source material. So in this book, he builds a novel around that plot and he fills in the blanks and he creates an accomplice. And he is one of the three main characters that Lee builds his story around. So we do have the, the accomplice of the IRA and the book opens with his uh, recruitment scene, which 
huh? which was jarring on page eight. It was like, oh, wow. And then you meet another character. The next character you meet is a, I think she's 18, maybe 19, a 19 year old girl. Um, her dad is the general manager of this hotel that Margaret Thatcher is coming to stay in. And uh, she's a teenager with her teenage concerns, you know, her boys and friends and life. And if she goes to university and what she wants to do when she grows up and what she's going to do with her hair, that's what she's dealing with throughout the novel. And then her father is the general manager of this hotel. And Margaret Thatcher coming to stay is his big break. He's a, he really wanted to be a successful athlete. It didn't work out for various reasons. Now he's kind of plodding along this job and he sees this Thatcher visit as his boost to the next level in his career. Amazing. It's very interesting. So what I really like about this novel is that it's very much rooted in history. Like the context is everything, but mm. he hasn't just made this some cardboard retelling of something that happened a long time ago, but by building out each of these three characters lives and we do rotate chapter to chapter, we see the world through their eyes for a chapter and then we move on to the next character and then the next character. But he's really made this feel like fresh and breathing and he's made these characters real and the way he interacts or he has them interact with each other in the story is it's really interesting the way he does it. Um, the father daughter dynamics are solid, but I also like the way that he has the IRA guy thinking through his choices because of the way he interacts with the teenager here. So how does that sound to you? That sounds interesting. That sounds like that sounds like something. Um, you're right. If I saw it and I saw like Margaret Thatcher history, I wouldn't grab it. You know, I would be like, ah, oh, maybe I'll give you a glance and I'll put you back down. Also, depending on obviously, you know, the uh, the inscription of it. But you just made it sound very good, Anne. I would be interested. Well, I'm interested to hear what you think. Okay, now book three. Help me out, Uli, because I'm debating between two very different books that could still cozy up next to each other on a bookshelf. Okay. So okay. Uh, one is set in Maine, in America. The other is set in Nigeria. One is more of a sweeping saga. The other is more of a um, smaller scaled domestic drama. Um, mm, both they, have plenty of heartbreak. What do you think? They both sound terrific. Let's go with the domestic uh drama. Let's see what comes there. Okay. Now of the three books, this is the one that I think could either be a big hit with you mm -hmm. or not. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to take a chance. Book three is another story uh, involving Africa and displaced peoples. And I'll just tell you what it is. How's that? Book three Please is tell me. book three is Half of a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Have you mm -hmm. read anything by her? Mm -hmm. I, you know what? I am just getting started on her. I just finally got Americana, which is totally shameful. Um, and of course, no, love, it's not which, shameful. Read it now. That's great. That's fine. I, I'm getting Yay. into it. I'm late. I feel that I'm so late to that party. But um, someone reviewed We Should All Be Feminists, and that opened me up to her. And um, now I just can't wait. But I haven't read the book you just recommended yet. So this is fantastic. You've pegged me correct. Well, let's pop another title on your list then. Okay. So 
My world history classes in high school and college did not teach me about the context of this novel. It is set in 1967 Nigeria. The Igbo people of the East have succeeded to form their own nation of Biafra, and there was a very real historical uh, bloody three-year civil war. So in this novel, Adichie tells the story of that conflict, and it's known in history books as the Biafran War, although supposedly it's been largely forgotten outside Nigeria. It wasn't just my my delinquency as a student that mm-hmm. caused me not to learn about it. But the way she tells the story isn't just with like the sweeping, all-seeing eye of history, but through the eyes of five very diverse characters who uh, weave in and out of each other's lives. We have a university professor, his privileged girlfriend from a wealthy, influential family, their servant boy, uh, her twin sister with whom she has a fraught relationship, of course, because that is the stuff novels are made of, and her British journalist boyfriend who gives us the outsider's kind of perspective. We see um, the buildup to the conflict and uh, what it could have been like to watch this building violence in your region and the ways the different characters react and the choices they make um, in their own lives, both because of and in the midst of the Civil War. Mm. I don't want to say too much about it, but um, it's I think she's really good. And I think she's right in your wheelhouse with the authors you've mentioned. How does that sound to you? That sounds wonderful. And, you know, she's really the one who speaks so much about context, right? She had this beautiful talk that was about the danger of a single layer story. And that talk has just stuck with me, which is also the reason that I really want to start reading everything she ever wrote. Um, because she spoke in the, in I think it was her TED Talk, she spoke about how it is so dangerous to hear one thing about another person and then to build your whole entire opinion and judgment around the person uh, based on that and how we need to create multi-layered stories around each other and for each other and need to listen to each other to be able to create that. So, I mean, I think we've come full circle here. Don't, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is great. I do. And you know, I, I've, seen her TED talk and I've read not quite all of her novels, but I'd like to cross them all off my list and hope she'll write a new one so that it wouldn't be complete long, but you get what I'm saying. But it's interesting that she writes many stories that have multiple narrators and are multi-layered. So, um, I just thought that was a style choice, not a philosophy, but now I'm wondering. Yeah. I mean, it might be, I, she seems to be a very strong believer in it. Okay. Uli of those titles, what do you think you'll read next? I think I would go with half of a yellow sun. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great pleasure. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Uli today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Uli and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 73. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Make sure to sneak a peek at her projects, Subway Book Review on Instagram, and iLevel Magazine at iLevelMag.com. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. 
Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.